0: Welcome to Comic Book Decalogue, where, with every installment, we ask a different cartoonist the same set of ten questions. My name is Greg Hunter, coming to you from Comics Journal Satellite Lab in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Sammy Harkham is the guest this episode. Now, news of Sammy's appearance on the podcast leaked online, and, as you probably know, social media erupted. A lot of people, noting that Sammy was featured on a Comics Journal podcast as recently as August 5th, 2015, discussing murder by high tide by maurice till you on one of the finest episodes to date of mike dawson's tcj talkies the pitchforks are out so first of all let me thank you critics and supporters alike for following these podcasts so closely but additionally sammy is releasing yet another issue of his series crickets the second one to come out in 2015 Crickets number 4 is one of the best comics of the year, in my opinion, and Issue 5 will no doubt be another amazing piece of work. This one continues serializing Sammy's story Blood of the Virgin, which is a smart, downbeat, very funny look at an earlier era of low-budget movie making. And you can secure a copy at WhatThingsDo.com. And see, that's what we do on Comic ComicBookDecaluck. We de-escalate. You can hear this kind of cultivated composure throughout the interview because I was not nervous at any point. You'll also hear a number of airplanes overhead. That's on purpose as well. Crickets, number five, on sale this month. Kramer's Airgo 9, out next year. Here's 10 questions with Sammy Harcum. Uh First question is, uh, what's the last comic you finished reading?
1: Sugar Skull by charles burns i read the whole Knit Knit trilogy it's really good it was really good um i read it once and then as soon as i finished book three i started again with book one yeah yeah i thought it was amazing how it really built and can everything sort of connected in a sort of amazing way um great comic
0: when you were reading comics as a a younger person burgeoning cartoonist did you come first uh, to someone like Hergé and then the Burns or did you come first to uh, someone like Charles Burns and then find your way toward the things he's he's playing with in that trilogy
1: it's an interesting question I think I've always seen Tintin around because my parents uh, met and had kids in Australia uh-huh. so we spent a lot of time in Australia even though we were based in Los Angeles so I would see Tintin and Asterix comics in Australia as a young kid. Hmm. Um, And then I probably read that stuff as an adult, like more older as an adult, like probably when I was in my teenage years. Sure. Because I love the artwork and stuff.
0: Since you've mentioned Australia, I was curious, how much of the Australia we see in in that book is the Australia you knew through... Which Those book? first-hand bits. Oh, in the uh, the story. Oh, in somersaulting,
1: Sorry. that was more inspired by Edward Hopper paintings. No kidding. Yeah, more by Edward Hopper than by because I grew up in when the time I spent in Australia was in Sydney, Sydney exclusively. So the story is set in South Australia, which is mm-hmm. not as big of a city. Then um, it was more that was more like a poem that comic in my mind. It was more tonally trying to create a certain kind of space um, and I had seen an Edward Hopper show in London and was really inspired by it um, was this the same
0: touring Hopper retrospective that was at the Whitney I think so it sort
1: of in 2006 okay so it was at the Tate in London it probably traveled around but I realized looking at what he was doing with his paintings was similar to like what I'm interested in with um, a lot of the um, architectural drawings that I do or like the interiors. Mm-hmm. A certain tone that you get out of like, everyday objects and everyday spaces and trying to find sort of the divine or the ambiguous. And he kind of does that so well. So it was a sort of visual touch point for that story. was working on that story i saw the show and i was like this is and so there are there are a couple exact echoes Uh of his paintings within that comic that's
0: really funny to me um i i grouped that story and the first issue of crickets together in my mind i think because the figures in motion you see in both are are, stand out the the golem figure running down the hill and and then the, the girl with the trash can right uh on top of her running and... Sure, comics are just so good
1: at that, you know.
0: But to hear Hopper, uh, <laughs> you know, this master of...
1: You know, I think it's probably, like, the girls running and smashing into each other or, like, any sort of plops or thing, characters rolling down hills or falling into each other is sort of to create a counterweight to so mm-hmm. the more quiet, calmer, more open, sort of uh, more contemplative, to not use a great word, but contemplative sequences... You know, to so still yeah. make it feel like a comic and not for it to be too pretentious, you know, or overtly delicate.
0: Does a, re- a reference point like Copper affect how you measure the success of a piece like Somersault? No, you-
1: it's just so it's a, it's its a, I've realized that influence, when you're directly influenced by something, it's not that you see something and want to copy it. It's what you see, you see someone, it's a shortcut to a place you want to go. Sure. So I knew the tone... So in this instance, I knew the tone of that story, and then seeing Hopper's work in the flesh just got me that much more closer as far as a way to get there. Sure, You know, and realizing that composition and a certain kind of composed quality, uh, really measured quality, could go a long way towards that. So I think the story, if I'd never seen that show, the story would have probably resembled that in a lot of ways, but I probably would have taken more of a windy path to get
0: there
1: Mm
0: -hmm. you know normally for the second question I would ask uh, what cartoonist doesn't get enough praise but by virtue of curating anthologies for the last 10-15 years um, uh, like correct me if you disagree but you've been you've been answering that question in a fashion true I think yeah Um, I agree so I wanted to ask instead uh, did any contributors to the upcoming volume of Kramer's Ergo really surprise you with their contributions?
1: There's a guy named Abraham Diaz from Mexico that I'm really taken with. I think his stuff is fantastic. So I was really excited to see his work. Um, Beyond that, I can't think of anything offhand. Um, If I had the book in front of me, we could talk about it Mm -hmm. more. I think there's a lot of familiar names, but I think they've all done exceptional work. I mean, the goal is to make a book that, even if it was ninety percent people you were familiar with, you, its like you see you're looking at them for the first time. That's the goal. That sure. You get the best thing out of them, or that you work with them. Hopefully, they're playing.
0: Yeah. Uh, us. But pause for edit. <laughs> no, that's that's fine.
1: No, but hopefully you uh, you get something and you present something in such a way that it feels like whatever preconceived notions that readers have had about that artist have washed away completely, and you're starting with a fresh slate.
0: Do you think Kramer's has evolved to a venue for that kind of work specifically? I suppose I'm thinking of the previous volume's Kevin Heizenga piece, which is uh, uh, Jacobs. Yeah, a, a cover song. Of oh, the sorts. one from Eight. Yeah, yeah, yeah the yeah. one from Eight, or, or sure. Gabrielle Bell doing as close as she's ever done to like a noir story. You think well, the... those things
1: were happenstance as far as like Kevin saying that's uh-huh. what he wanted to do, and I was open to that. And Gabrielle, just talking to Gabrielle about fiction, because I like her autobiographical comics, but I like her fiction even more. I think she's one of the best uh, literary cartoonists around right now. So uh, that's, I didn't do much on either of those stories. I mean, I look at Kramer's as. Uh, as an evolving thing and that my goal isn't to necessarily replicate what's come before or what I've done before or what people like before but just to do something that is good on its own terms and interesting and challenging in a fun way.
0: Do you think the weight of the anthology's reputation will affect that as you move forward? It you does know, affect cartoonists it. Cartoonists really keen totally to subvert affects expectations it. Yeah, no, it in totally the Kramer's affects mold.
1: It. I mean, people want things a certain way but there's a lot of books... After Kramer's Four, there were a lot of books that looked like Kramer's Four. There were a lot of big book, big colorful books, especially coming out of Europe. So, and it's like you do something, and you kind of want to move past that. You know, at some point, you may want to go back, right? You know, and this new one is probably closer to number four and five, like those earlier issues, than it has been over the last couple issues. But that's just because my head is is at that place. It's not thinking about what the reader wants. Mm. You know, I have to just bring a clear eye to what I'm looking at and try to just select the best stories and place them in a really good order that sort of maximizes, you know, what makes them special and make everyone's work, work well together. You know,
0: do you have to be a politician to a degree with respect to sequencing? Uh,
1: No, I mean, artists will tell me if they want something to start on the left or right at times. Um, But, no, I'd like to think that they trust me so that if I place their story last, Mm -hmm. you know, they trust that that's the best place for the story. You know, I, I don't think you... With comics, there are so few opportunities and chances to, like, do something for print or... Not for print, but there's... There aren't that many things going on. So I think it's, it's if you get asked to be in a book and you're excited by the book, then like hopefully you can trust the editor and, and if there is something, that's something you can discuss, you know? Everyone who's in the book I love and I love their work. So any decision I make editorially should be taken from a positive perspective. Mm-hmm even if that means I'm asking for them to do new pages or to make changes which occasionally happens you know I wouldn't ask for those things if I didn't respect them already
0: right, we'll move on to the Neil Adams question now this is question three uh, what's the most widely loved comic you can't connect with
1: oh geez it's a good question let me think See, Widely Loved, I'm not sure what that means. I'm not sure in what uh, what context. Widely Loved. There's a lot of successful comics of the last 15, 20 years that don't mean anything to me. Most of it's like young adult type books Mm -hmm. that come out and win a lot of awards. I don't read that stuff. It doesn't look interesting to me. Um, When I was younger, I had a hard time reading Love and Rockets. So I didn't I didn't engage with that stuff till I was in my 20s, so maybe that is the answer to your question. Um, Just because 11 Rockets was seemed impossible to penetrate from the outside unless you started at the beginning, but the work looked a lot um, stiffer. It was more in like sci-fi. Sure. So I was like, is this the place to start? I didn't know where to start with it, you know. And I always respected the way it looked, but I didn't know where to begin. trying to think of what else would be something that's really well liked that I don't like. I read Carl Barks, and I like his storytelling sensibility, but I don't love his sense of humor. I much prefer John Stanley. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think of people more in my little universe. Mm, I'm not going to say. All
0: right, yeah. I mean, people, <laughs> people have been surprisingly game to answer that question yeah, no, so I think far. It's a I, good, will...
1: I think it's a good question. Because in a way, it's almost not, in some ways, it's the most personal sort of diss to be like, I don't respond to the way this person constructs stories, but at the same time, it's completely visceral, your Mm -hmm. reaction to like lines on paper and how they come alive and if it works for you or not, you know? I don't know. Yeah, I can't think of anything offhand except for one person, but I don't want to say it. All right.
0: Uh, this is a new question uh, We're road testing uh, Beginning with this podcast mm-hmm. uh, You can send a comic One comic from any era To yourself at 14 uh, What is that comic?
1: Gosh At 14 I'd want to read something Really sexual But I had an older brother who Collected comics So I You know I was ex- exposed to crumb At around 8 or 9 Cheech Wizard, Mobius, Tim Vigil's work with Faust, all at a really young age.
0: Could you engage with Crumb?
1: Or on, on No, what? I mean I could I didn't underst- I couldn't understand the context of it, but reading this like I read Joe Blow. You know, the story about the kid who fucks his mom and the dad fucks the daughter. Okay. So this was just like so transgressive and intense, you know. That's how I could connect to it just purely as like whoa this is just this incredibly world. intense. I don't know I was lucky in that I you know there was a, there was a, a comic shop that had everything. at 14 I saw everything that was coming out.
0: was this in Los Angeles?
1: this is yeah in LA in between LA and Australia at that time they both had really good comic book sections and I think of any of the things I love now that I didn't love then I just I don't know if I would have responded to like wash tubs... Or Gasoline Alley, uh-huh. or John Stanley Comics. Um, there's nothing. There's nothing. I uh, when I was fourteen, there was so much good stuff. I was, there was so much stuff to dig into, because all the great comic book series of the '90s were already rolling along. So you're, Jim Woodring was doing a bunch of stuff with Jim and Frank. Peep Show was uh, was going along. Palookaville, a Dirty Plot. Eight ball. When mm. I started reading 8-Ball, it was up to issue 12 or 13. So all these things were like, there was all this stuff to catch up on. And it was a good time.
0: How would you compare that 90s uh, uh, alternative? I don't want to say it's a boom, but like a lot of things were happening at once. Uh, depending on who you ask, there's a similar sort of alternative comics renaissance now. I don't know if that's uh, a bias toward the present, but you see a lot of stuff.
1: I don't know. I don't know. I think because when you're you're discovering stuff, it all feels like the best. So you really notice this when you talk to people about music. You know, every generation thinks the music after them is terrible and the Mm -hmm. music they grew up with was the best. All I know is that like those alternative cartoonists of the early, throughout the 90s, actually, that Fantagraphics and Drawn and Quarterly were publishing all had a very high level of craft. Uh which is just that has not been surpassed so their range the craft means that they could just hit a wide range you know they had a lot in their arsenal you know Uh, and i don't think there are as many artists now guys my age i'm 35 i don't think there's many people with that level of craft they're good there's a lot of obviously a lot of really great cartoonists um But it was it was definitely like an amazing time. To in my mind, it's like that was, and I'm sure that will happen again. It'll happen again, you know, at some point. But it's like when I think of seeing a Frank cover for the first time, Mm -hmm. you know, as a 12 year old, and just been like completely blown away because not knowing what it was between that title and then the image on the cover, and just and it looks so perfect, and Klaus's work just being so. It had the polish and finish of like a, of a real professional comic book. Nowadays it's more I think we're more like in that post fourth Thunder uh, post 90s thing where it's a lot more free form there's a lot more variety. Maybe in some ways it makes it more open as a medium to people mm-hmm. to artists, to people who are interested in just like uh, the medium as a form of expression who aren't intrigued by, like, having something have the skill of Alex Toth.
0: And I don't want to attribute a theory to you, but what role would you assign the Internet in that, uh, the level of crap you see? And and, uh, do you think the impulse to put everything, or just to put anything out, to have as much of an online portfolio via Tumblr or whatever? No,
1: because I'm thinking of the really great cartoonists now. You know, like, if I think of the best people working right now who are young, let's say under 40, I just don't think they have those kind of craft skills. I don't think it's an internet problem, necessarily. Mm
0: -hmm. All right, question number five. What's a change you'd like to see throughout the industry?
1: Oh, my goodness. The only changes I would want in the industry don't have to do with the industry per se. It has to do probably with just... Uh, economics you just wish stuff sold better sure. across the board you know more if stuff sold better across the board then you'd have more publishers you'd have more people coming in you'd have more talent there'd be more opportunities um, that's the that's the one in my mind
0: having published Kramers now through a variety of venues with different collaborators can you describe like the education that's provided you know the economics of i don't want to call it fringe material
1: but well what's interesting about kramer's to me is that it's when it comes out it kind of gets mainstream press um like like the name like the brand or whatever it is is something that you know we get well reviewed in 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 mainstream newspapers and websites and magazines or whatever. And so I think it's interesting because then you can play with that and you can use that. I mean, it goes, it all goes back to that initial thing of like, I want to make a book. I want to make a really good book. There's stuff I'm excited about. I want to make a, you know, a a book that's as good as it possibly can be. And it's great that it's become something that people are interested in and will read about and hopefully buy Uh, when it's work that they're not familiar with or normally won't search Mm -hmm. out. Uh,
0: Question number six. What's the closest you've come to quitting cartooning?
1: The closest I've come to quitting cartooning. I've never come close to quitting cartooning. I've always wanted to do it. I love it. I think I'm good at it. I'm not great at it. I think I'm good at it. And I keep feeling like I can get better at it. So, I'm always interested in it. I think, again, going back to economics, it would be great to find a way to do it full time, all the time, Mm -hmm. day in, day out. But, uh. Do you think there is. I've never, yeah, no, I've just, I've never. I always like to think that no matter what I do, if I end up getting involved in film more or television more, that I would like to have one of those careers that let where i could where i would continually be engaging with comics Mm -hmm. i love the medium you know even if i get sick of reading comics or there's i mean of course i think like every comics reader there's periods where you kind of hate it and you stay away from it for a while but i'm never i never get sick of of the medium like the idea of it i always feel like comics are wide open Mm -hmm. you know there's it's, it's it's for me it's it's great
0: Uh, Question number seven. What's the best advice you've heard about making comics?
1: The best advice I've been given was from Gilbert Hernandez when I showed him my work before I'd ever been published at a comic book convention. And he said, even if you have, even if all your lines are done freehand, use a ruler when you pencil and then have it be the freehand. and then he said you always want to leave some space between the edge of your words and the edge of the word balloon he said maybe a fourth of an inch or an eighth of an inch um and that was like two really good pieces of just uh common sense advice that was really useful
0: and uh question number eight what's the worst decision you've made as a cartoonist
1: I've worked with bad publishers. I've worked with bad editors. Um, Sometimes I think, oh, I should have just found a good publishing house and just stayed put. You know, because when things go wrong, you have a tendency to try to backtrack and find out where you went wrong. And it would be nice just to, like, if I fail at something, to not be able to blame anyone but myself. Uh So I want to just get to that point in my life where if something's messed up, it's on me. <laughs> yeah.
0: uh, along those lines, we've talked about Kramer's a bunch. Uh, we haven't really talked about Crickets. Uh, with uh, an undertaking like that, did your, how much is your idea of, of what you know your one-man anthology comic like ought to be? How much has that evolved?
1: It stayed the time? same. I've always wanted to do one of those series in the style of one of those 90s comics. And that's how I still look at it. Mm-hmm. So... The last issue was m- almost the entire thing was part of Blood of the Virgin because it just ended up taking up 48 pages. But ideally, an issue has three to four stories. Um, I love that format. That's still the most exciting format to me. Yeah. So, yeah, it doesn't change.
0: And uh, question nine What do your parents think of your work?
1: Tricky question. My dad, they've never read my work. They've never read it. They've never read my work. My father is supportive, in a sort of vague way, which is which is nice, you know. Um, Would you say they understand, in broad strokes, what you no, do? Having they don't understand what I do. My father, it's it's all it's all financial, so he thinks I should make like a TV show, like The Simpsons or something. Mm-hmm. You know, he thinks I should put my energy into making something that could make money. But he sees that... You know, he knows that people... That there's a small audience for what I do, and people like it okay. Um, And my mother... I talked to her about my work once, and she called me a loser. And so that was... That was as far as we got. I don't think she's read it either, but she just thinks i kind of wasting my time.
0: Have you... Had the impulse, resisted the impulse, followed through on the impulse to show, you know, uh, New York Times or, or whatever publication covering Kramer's. And-
1: yeah, my, like I said, my father is supportive, but he sees that and thinks like, okay, how do you monetize that? Uh-huh. You know, you should get an agent, you should get a big payday, you should make something that can sell to a lot of people, um, and he thinks I'm just stubborn. Then I could get that. Uh-huh. But it's okay. I try not to talk about it too much with them.
0: Well, that's a natural segue to our last question. Uh, you've been assigned to write and draw Garfield, but you can change one element of the strip. Uh, so, what do you change?
1: Can I say that's a trick question because it's perfect? <laughs> Does that is that okay? Yeah. I like Garfield. It's pretty bad. I think the jokes could be better, but I think the setup is really strong. So mm-hmm. it's probably... I bet you if you track it year to year, it gets better and worse depending on who's in the writing room, you know? Because I know they all work in like a big factory slash studio. There's like a Garfield uh-huh. studio. So, I mean, the last couple... I tried reading it with my kids. It was terrible. They didn't even like it very much. But I I liked it when I was a kid. I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't change any element of it. I would just try to make the jokes better.